streaming service knows your preferences, the time you're watching, when you're watching, and that's very good telemetry data for a malicious actor in a targeted attack. Hi, and welcome to Sabirizan's Malicious Life B-Sides. I'm Ran Levy. Media companies probably get hacked no more than other non-media-oriented organizations, such as hospitals and banks. But these hacks are often more visible and more memorable than other cases because, well, media companies are more public-facing by their very nature. For example, when someone hijacked the television signals of two stations in Chicago in 1987 and broadcasted a clip of someone wearing a Max Headroom mask, well, everyone who was watching TV that evening knew that something was off. The story received so much publicity that even we did an episode about it some 30 years later. In another case, in 2013, the Associated Press Twitter account was hacked and the attackers tweeted about an explosion in the White House and about President Obama being injured. Six minutes later, the Dow Jones plummeted, costing investors some $136 billion. In this B-side interview, then, we're focusing on the security threats against media companies. How can these organizations be hacked, and why should we care about such attacks? Nate Nelson spoke with Joel Molinoff, former Chief Information Risk Officer for CBS Corporation, and Dan Vazel, former Vice President of Information Security at Paramount. Enjoy the interview. I personally worry about attacks against data brokers because they house my personal information. I worry about critical infrastructure because those facilities are necessary to my health and well-being. Pirating and leaks just aren't my business, and my Roku apps frankly already cut out so often that I hardly think I'd even recognize if my content providers were being hacked midstream. So, Dan, Joel, what reason do I or any of our listeners have to worry about cyber attacks against media companies? Media companies' breaches can impact consumers from a minor inconvenience like the favorite streaming service not being available, or and that's a, an impact on the entertainment side of things, to more serious consequences if, for example, critical uh, news can't be delivered accurately or in time. And that's on the knowledge side of things. If you think about it, a lot of the decisions are made based on the information provided by the news outlets from decisions to, let's say, stockpile toilet paper uh, during the pandemic to more serious ones like automated decisions in high-frequency trading, for example, uh, which rely on things like sentiment analysis coming from, from the news outlets. If the news outlet is, is compromised by a malicious actor, they could potentially manipulate the news feed for, for fun and profit, mostly profit, uh, which in turn will uh, affect the, the high-frequency trading algorithm. Dan, you're going to have to spell that out for me. How does manipulating the news impact trading in the stock market? impacting the news might impact high-frequency trading through uh, sentiment analysis, which relies on analyzing not only social feeds, social media feeds, but also 
the news outlets, right? They're picking up news and they see whether there's a positive or a negative sentiment with respect to a particular company and that impacts the algorithm, the, the high frequency algorithm. So as a consumer, next time when you think about your favorite news outlet being compromised, uh, it, it might be that your investment portfolio might also be be impacted. And by the way, these are not necessarily theoretical attacks. News outlets are being targeted and uh, sentiment analysis algorithms are attacked. Okay, so there's that. Um, in what other ways do media attacks affect all of us? Media companies also collect and process personal data, be them web outlets or streaming services. And I know lots of other companies collect personal data, but your email is probably already out there in a leaked database. That's all relatively common knowledge. But media companies also have the opportunity to observe behavior. Your streaming service knows your preferences, the time you're watching, when you're watching, where are you located, the device that you're using. And that's very good telemetry data for a malicious actor in a targeted attack. Oh, and media companies also process payments. And, and I would just add uh, that in addition to those consumer-related issues, that media companies are uh, targeted like most other companies for financial gain by cyber criminals and others through uh, ransomware attacks and extortion attacks. Uh, but they're also uh, targeted because of the content that they have and that they want to release. And I don't want to just talk theoretically here. Dan, you mentioned that these attacks really are already happening. Are there any instances that you can recall that most of our listeners might already be familiar with? Um, events that either made it to the news or actually impacted us, like uh, the, the general public? Sure. Why don't I start on the broadcast side? Uh, and there are, have been attacks recently, uh, just as recently as as August of this year, on uh, news organizations where there have been denial of service attacks as well as attempts to put false messages on the broadcast uh, that line up with some nation states' political views. Uh, similarly, when there are live broadcasts, uh, I had the opportunity to work on a couple of uh, Super Bowls, and there are always attacks against those broadcasts. And some of it is opportunistic, some of it is just uh, denial of service attacks, but those are obviously high profile. And then beyond the broadcast side, back to, to content, there have been numerous examples in the press of uh, content that's been leaked prior to the company wanting it to be released. And there are also examples of ransomware and other types of destructive attacks being executed against media companies. And maybe this is a silly question. I understand that a lot of the companies that we're talking about here are big and rich and that any large organization with money is going to be targeted by hackers at some point. But it's easier for me to understand why hackers might go after, say, a government because of political reasons or what have you. Um, I can understand why hackers go after hospitals because especially during COVID-19, they're usually understaffed and overworked, and so you're more likely get, to get a ransom. What do hackers want from, like, CBS? Like, what does CBS have to offer them? What they're looking for 
uh, for media companies are financial gain, like through extortion and ransomware, but also trying to to steal content prior to release. And that could be theatrical releases or uh, episodes of shows that are streaming. They are also looking to disrupt operations of media companies. And I, I mentioned live broadcasts, and you can think about things like live sporting events that are being broadcast online, uh, as well as in traditional means. There are things like denial of service attacks that are being executed against those broadcasts all the time. And that could be for hacktivist reasons. It could be for opportunists who want to see if they can take something down. Uh, but also the, the state actors and the proxies are increasingly active in uh, trying to target media companies that they think are uh, going against their perspective and their, their political views. All right. So that's the sort of broad scope of possibilities here. But you both have worked for years in security for these companies already. So what are the actual threats that you have already encountered? From my personal experience, a quick story from a long time ago, my, my previous life as a security consultant, I, I was asked to, to investigate a potential breach with a financial news outlet was web-based, uh, but but it was a very reputable source of information for the um, financial industry, and and they were seeing logins from a um, valid internal account, but at very odd times of the day, basically at two a.m. And uh, the way they were constructing the, the the news outlet, the way they were constructing their content was investigative journalism. They would pick up a target, usually based on a hint coming from somebody in the industry, and, and they would start poking around, both in a positive and a negative way in terms of the outcome. Think about companies struggling financially or other companies getting ready to, to launch something new. Now, they were fortunate enough to have some telemetry data to know that that is happening. They didn't have a lot of data to know who's doing that. So, uh, I stepped in to to help the investigation, and um, generally speaking, when this um, news outlet was producing a a piece of content, it would take weeks, probably months, before they had an article ready. And in the meantime, that article would sit as a draft in their CRM, whatever they were using at the time, with notes, with evidences, with everything that they gathered in terms of intelligence for that particular art article. And somebody was looking at those drafts at night, right? Somebody who shouldn't have. In that particular case, it turned out to be an insider. And I don't know what happened after that because I did my job. I, I left. But the articles published by the outlet sometimes had at least a short-term impact on the stock price if that particular company was uh, publicly listed. And I think that's what the attacker was after in, in that particular case. The best strategy for organizations to avoid becoming a victim of ransomware is to prevent the attack from being successful in the first place. Cyber Reason remains undefeated in the fight against ransomware because it moved beyond alerting to deliver an operation-centric approach that detects and prevents ransomware attacks at the earliest stages of initial ingress and lateral movement. The Cyber Reason predictive response capability disrupts ransomware attacks prior to data exfiltration and long before the ransomware payload can be delivered. 
Visit cyberreason.com to learn more about predictive ransomware protection and how your organization can realize both increased efficiency and efficacy through an operation-centric approach to security operations. Without giving anybody any tips here, what are the attack vectors or the vulnerabilities that you two worry the most about in this industry? The network perimeter for media companies, as well as other companies, has really dissolved. And today, companies are more interconnected and more reliant on vendors and suppliers and third parties to get their their work done and to do uh, to produce their content uh, than ever before. And I think what that shows is that the attack surface for media companies extends far beyond its own network. Media companies have done a lot over the last several years to improve their security. And now attackers can pivot and look to companies that those media companies rely on, their vendors and their technology suppliers, in order to try to get entree into the, the media companies. Yeah, you know, in preparing for this episode, I was thinking about that characteristically human experience. I'm sure that we've all been there. When you go to a movie theater and you sit down and before the movie even starts, before the first scene, like a dozen different studios' logos and animations come up on the screen. And then, of course, you have the end credits, which usually go on for like 15 minutes with like dozens of different companies and hundreds of people that, that are thanked and for their role in the movie. Are these the kind of supply chain vendors that you're talking about here? Do they have any kind of a similar relationship from a cyber perspective to ordinary vendors, ordinary technologies, or is that too much of a stretch? It's, it's both. There's a, um, a reliance on, on very specialized types of vendors. So whether it's uh, sound editors or special effects editors. Uh, and so, yeah, when you see those credits, there's a lot of a lot of dependence on the types of companies that you don't see elsewhere. But then there is also dependence on traditional software and, and hardware vendors. How do all of these companies relate to one another from a cyber perspective? Like, I get technology vendors, sure. But what about like sound editing studios makes them a vector for cyber attacks. This reliance on a vendor like a sound editing uh, organization means that at some point in time, you have to share information and you have to share the content in a particular stage in the, you know, in that evolution, in that value chain, right? Coming from the camera and all the way to the consumer. So it's in an edited stage. And then the, uh, sound studio will have to add the sound to that. So they have access to it, but you have to give it to them, right? For, for them to be able to work. And if you're a malicious actor targeting that particular type of content, you would go after the um, sound studio because, you know, they're a smaller organization and they probably don't have the, the cybersecurity controls that the large media organizations have. Okay, so at this point, we've talked about a few different categories of organizations. The major media companies, so, you know, your, your classic CBS, uh, these suppliers, for lack of a better term, the folks who do sound editing for you or anything else, and then the general technology vendors. What does this ecosystem look like? Is it centralized around a few major players, or is it just a web of 
dependencies and hundreds and thousands of companies each connecting to each other in one weird way or another. What we've observed is that they tend to rely on the same set of vendors. Well, we've observed roughly 50 top media vendors, which tend to be used by most big media companies, right? And uh, of course, as, as an attacker, this would probably be a, a good avenue if you're targeting the media industry per se, knowing that they all use these vendors. Yeah, and I should say the, the reason why you guys originally ended up on my radar was that you had published a report that analyzed this very problem. So could you summarize what you were looking into and your findings to listeners? We did an analysis of the media industry vendor ecosystem. We basically looked at major vendors for these uh, particular big media companies. We've identified a lot of common vendors. We decided to split them in two groups, one being the top media vendors, basically vendors that are used across the entire industry, and then the extended vendor ecosystem. And then what we did was to look at the um, cyber exposure that these vendors have and potentially could introduce um, cyber incidents or cyber incidents could spread in the supply chain to the media companies themselves. So the top media vendor space is roughly 50 50 vendors, vendors that are used by most media companies. And um, I guess one of the interesting findings there is the fact that roughly a third of them have some sort of vulnerability in their publicly exposed infrastructure that could potentially lead to, to a compromise. And we further segmented that space. And, and I guess the outlier group in that segmented space is the content management providers, which um, account for roughly uh, 20 of the 50 companies and 50% of them had such vulnerabilities present in their publicly exposed infrastructure. With that being said... Do you two believe that media companies have what it takes now to defend themselves against hackers who might exploit these vulnerabilities, or is there still a major risk? You know, the the media industry in general is in much better shape lately. And some of that comes from, you know, a, a very old breach that happened at Sony Pictures in 2014, quite, you know, an infamous one. That was a famous story, but because it happened a while ago, can you remind us of the details? The hacker group released a set of confidential data from, from Sony Pictures with data including information about Sony Pictures employees and, and their families, um, scripts for unreleased films, uh, media content as well, copies of, of films that, that were uh, in the making. And um, the perpetrators at the time used a, um, a malware, I think it was the Shamoon Wiper, which also erased all the data from, from the Sony's computer infrastructure. And uh, in the aftermath of that event, I think the media, in, the companies operating in the media industry realized that there's a need to invest in, in cybersecurity. And unfortunately for Sony, they they have been kind of the negative example for certain industries to start investing in cybersecurity because if we think about the Sony PlayStation hack that left the network offline for three weeks, that happened in 
2011, I think. And what were the details of that case? So in 2011, PlayStation Network uh, was hacked. It had an outage, um, which was the, the result of an external intrusion. And they leaked something like 77 million accounts. But the biggest problem for them was that they had to take the systems offline for 23 days because they didn't know what happened. And during the investigation, they thought it's safer to to do that. And that frustrated a lot of gamers around the world, as you can imagine. The gaming industry's response was immediate. They realized that that can't happen to them. And I'm talking about the, the game producers here. They beefed up their spending on cybersecurity and they've increased their their cybersecurity teams. Okay, so as a result of these major events, things are starting to improve. Um, Dan, Joel, thank you for speaking with me. Is there any last word now that you'd like to leave with our listeners? So uh, in many ways, the media sector is like uh, any other uh, industry sector with similar threats and challenges. But given its uh, its high-profile products and its highly competitive nature in terms of uh, getting viewers and getting eyeballs for the content that they're producing, it's, uh, it's critical for the media sector to look at their attack surface beyond their traditional perimeter. And I'll leave you with this. Breaches in the media industry might not impact us consumers directly, or at least not in a significant way. But media is the fourth pillar of democracy, and we as consumers might be impacted more severely in the long run. And as long as we make it clear that security and privacy are important things for us, then the media industry will have a strong incentive to deliver on its obligations. CK music, 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 music.